Welcome to the 13th episode of the Millennial Voice Podcast. In this episode, we cover the NBA Finals, Rihanna, Clay's struggles, the overreactions after Game 1, Adam Silver's thoughts on the one and dones, Ennis Cantor's dad getting arrested, and LeBron dealing with racism. Thank you for listening. Please also check out our website at millennialvoicepodcast.com and also leave us that positive review on iTunes as well. What's happening? What's good, everybody? Welcome to MVP episode 13. As always, joining my guy over here. What up? 13, so we got a shout out. Steve Nash, James Harden, Kurt Warner, Oda Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. The list goes on, right? Um, not much of an intro for this episode. We're going to jump right into the NBA Finals recap. Of course, we had game one last night. Thought the game could have been better. You know, if you, I guess if you're a Warriors fan or if you're a KD fan, it was good to see, you know, Kevin Durant really thriving in that Warriors offense. I mean, did you have any thoughts? Like, we were actually just talking about it before getting on this mic. You said you, you weren't, you know, there wasn't much for you to say. I actually have a, a lot of things I want to get off my chest, but I mean, what did you think? The first quarter was pretty exciting. The first quarter is very close, but after that, uh, I have to be real with you guys. I fell asleep during the game. Because I thought that they could cut it down to maybe like a like an eight point, three point, four point game, and then it just never happened. The Warriors just kind of maintained their lead throughout the game. We all predicted this to be a six or seven game series. People who are basketball fans, we know that both teams will lose some games the series. Well, we actually talked about it on the last pot. Some people don't think it will be that way. There's fans out there that think the Warriors are gonna sweep, which is ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. In, in a six or seven game series, teams are bound to lose one or one and two. So, yeah, and par for the course. I just felt, you know, it's the day after game one, the day after an NBA Finals game is always, there's overreactions. And I just felt like the reactions right now, talking about, oh, you know, the Warriors blew them out by 20 or more points. The Cavs couldn't keep up. Tell me, games one and two, the Warriors are playing at home. What are they supposed to do with those two games? Win at home? They have to win those two games. If the if the Cavaliers were to win this game, they will be in full control right now. And they still have a chance to be in full control. And this is one of the reasons we talked about why LeBron might prefer to play game ones on the road. Is because even after dropping game one, they're still the Cavs are still on the right track. As bad as they played last last night, they're still on the right track. All they need to do is try to steal, steal game two. Even if they don't get game two, there's nothing bad about that. They still have their home games and they got to take care of business at home. There's no reason to panic for Cavs. There's no reason to think that the series is any different than it was yesterday. And we've been on this pod talking about in the playoffs, once you get to this level of competition, whether you win by 5, 20, win by 15, a win is a win. So, I mean, what did you... My only reaction is... Or one of few reactions is how LeBron responded to KD. You know, when he was asked on the podium, you know, what was what stood out to you tonight? He just said KD. And that's also something that he mentioned is you can't simulate real NBA speed. Right. Which I think in the future will not be the case. I think, you know, virtual reality and all that technology will allow athletes to become like to get to another level. But that's for another podcast. But LeBron is kind of right. The scary thing about the Warriors Mm -hmm. The biggest change from this season, from last season, is KD. And the reality of having a KD, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson fast break is just really hard to fathom. And it's really hard to see in real life. 
we're going to talk about, obviously, we're going to talk about KD and LeBron and all the other players that are involved in the series. But let's just run down some key stats that were involved in game one. Cleveland shoots 35% from the field. They did not shoot well last night. Steals. Warriors with 12 last night. The Cavs with zero. It's almost difficult for an NBA team to play a game without any steals. Mm -hmm. It's almost fluky. It's difficult to do it. It's hard to finish a game without a steal in the NBA. Almost fluky. But Cavaliers somehow did it. Zero steals against a Warriors high-paced offense. And whenever you have a high-paced offense, high-paced offenses usually lead the league in turnovers. Why? Because if you're that aggressive on offense and you're trying to make things happen, kind of like Russell Westbrook, kind of like a lot of the playmakers are in the league, the reason why they have so many turnovers or accrue so many turnovers in a game is because they have to take chances, right? So zero steals for Cavaliers was alarming. It's, it's what's, what's that word? It's an anomaly. Like, this is not going to happen again in the series. Yeah, one moment that just came to my mind during the game was there was a moment where I think it was either Steph or Clay threw a threw a transition pass to Katie in the on the wing, but it looked like it was going out of bounds. Yeah. But Katie is so damn tall and his arms are so long, he just kind of swoops it in from out of bounds, corrals it in, and makes a three. That was that was right. pretty interesting. Something that you know that is different from last season's mm-hmm. finals. Last season that would have been Harrison Barnes, and he would have tried to grab the ball, but it would have gone out of bounds. Yeah. You know. But this season, you replace Harrison Barnes with a 6'11", 7-foot, yeah. with like a 7'6 wingspan, Kevin Durant, who can shoot threes at an incredibly high rate, and that's what you get. Yeah, and yeah, I totally agree with you. I thought the Warriors were just making plays whenever they had a chance to make a wide-open three. That's exactly what they did. Um, just another stat I want to add, 20 turnovers versus 4 for the Warriors. 20 is a ridiculous number. You have 20 turnovers, have zero steals, and you, you you will not win games that way. So the Cavaliers with 20, they exceeded their average. And this was, they turned the ball over a lot in this game. Whereas four for the Warriors, this is also an anomaly. I just talked about high offense teams, that teams, teams that run up and down. Mm-hmm. If you play in an offense like that, like the Rockets, like the Warriors, like even the Cavaliers, they play high, high offense. Even the Celtics they go up and down. The Wizards, they go up and down. Those teams are more prone to turnovers than teams like, for example, the, the, the Grizzlies, you know, the Utah Jazz that play a much slower pace. Mm-hmm. Those teams turn over the ball much less. But the Warriors with four turnovers, that's very impressive. A lot of fans are pointing to the Cavaliers' defense as the scapegoat for the loss in game one. Yeah, because it makes sense. You get blown up by 20 points. Right, and... Do you remember how the Cavs finished the season, finished the regular season this year? They kind of stumbled into the playoffs towards the end of the season. Boston Celtics take the number one seed. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, the Cavs are losing. They can't play defense. They're like the they're like this 22nd best team in, in the league in defense. What are they mm-hmm. going to do? Game one, they lose by 22. Oh, it's the Cavs' defense's fault. And that is true. And we're going to talk about what I think about JR and the Cavs defenders, not JR specifically, that's the only, he's the only one that I can think of right now. When they choose to leave a wide open dunk to cover Stephen Curry or a deadly shooter in transition. But I thought it was really the 
efficiency of the Cavs offense that led to this. 20 turnovers. And there's a stat called points off turnovers. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Andy, what happens after a ball is turned over in basketball? The other team gets uh, full court ahead of them. Right. Usually numbers advantage in transition. Yeah. Basketball teams, are they in better position to score in transition like that after a turnover or in a half court set? Turnover. Of course. By far. The best players in the game, they all thrive in the transition game. They would much rather score in transition after a turnover than in a half court set. It's like a gimme. Right. So was the Cavs defense, did did they play well enough to win game one? I don't think they did. But their offensive execution, in my opinion, was worse than their defensive execution. Turning the ball over 20 times against a team like the Warriors, Warriors are going to fry you with that. They will take full advantage of that. And and even and let's say you turn it over 20 times. If you want to beat a team like the Warriors, then you need to score like 150 points. Right. But neither of those things happen, so. Yeah. And this is the result you get. Yeah. And just now let's going back to the defense then. What do you think about that? What are, what are your thoughts on Kevin Durant coming down in transition? It's maybe like a three-on-two kind of situation. The defense picks up on the shooters instead. Steph and KD Curry, yeah. had, right, and KD has a wide-open dunk. I think he had like six dunks in the first quarter or something like that. I think it was first half, but yeah, I, it seemed like the first quarter, right? Well, every AAU coach, every basketball coach will tell you, don't pick up the furthest guy, right? Don't give up layups. Force mid-range shots. Force shots. Don't give up. Yeah, don't give up layups as in pick up the ball. You're told yeah. to pick up the ball. Whoever is dribbling the ball down, you pick him up. Yeah, because you don't want a wide open layup. Right. And the reason why that it is is because a layup or in this case a dunk in the NBA is a guaranteed two points. Yes. Whereas so, even if a guy shoots 60% from the three, he needs to shoot at least like three threes in order to make up for the scoring that results from a wide open dunk. You know what I'm saying? So even if he's like 50%, he needs to shoot that at least twice to get the to get points. Whereas the wide open dunk is two points automatically. Right. So even if you're shooting over 50% from three, you have to pick up the, the ball handler. You have to force the mid, you have to force the three. Make him make the three. It's like when you foul on offense, you know? Like, make him make the free throws. Yeah, and this Right now, this moment at a stage like this in the professional level in the National Basketball Association. Last night, we saw a three-on-one or three-on-two transition with an elite ball handler slash scorer coming down with the ball. And the defense, instead of picking up on the elite ball handler, they're going out and covering shooters. And this is happening at the highest level in basketball. I'm trying to think of an example of how ridiculous that was, how against the grain and how untraditional that was. This is like going to like Thanksgiving and they don't have turkey, they don't have stuffing, they don't they're not doing anything right for Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how that play was. But that speaks to the greatness of the Splash Brothers in the Warriors. To the greatness of how well they shoot the ball for the Splash Brothers and KD now. Like you said, when you give up a dunk not just NBA players, players in college, players in high school, they will make that 99% of the time if you give up a wide open layup slash dunk. Mm-hmm. 
like you said, you're exactly right. If you give up a lot wide open three, though, it's not as guaranteed that they make that shot. But now, if we're talking about Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, that's how good they are. They're so good. They're so good that JR and the Cavs are thinking, we don't need Turkey on Thanksgiving. But that's the level of fear that Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson are putting in the players in the NBA right now. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of emphasizing this. I'm just trying to think of something that's really, really elementary. Like, you get taught this at the elementary levels when you're in basketball. Like, right now, the Cavs are doing one plus one wrong. The Cleveland, uh, the Warrior shooters are so good. They're so good that even the most basic things in defense, the Cavs are having to overthink it right now. It was just interesting, but it was just a testament to where the Cle- um, where the sorry, I keep saying Cleveland, but Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry are in the history of the NBA. They are the best shooters ever. Like no, I don't think this will ever be matched. The way they shoot the ball and the efficiency they shoot the ball and how much they stretch the court and how effortlessly they shoot regardless of where they are on the floor totally has revolutionized the game it's ruining the game really and we talked about lamello ball it's ruining the game it's making three-pointers look so easy there's kids out there today if i just practice my shot if i just practice my shot and practice my shot to the point that i can become an elite three-point shooter i can be like Stephen curry despite my lack of athleticism despite me being not being six eight six nine if i can be a six two great shooter i can be like Stephen curry but you know what the truth is we can genetically engineer a baby and put a basketball in the baby's hands in day one and have that baby shoot a thousand times since birth to age 20 and that person will probably not be good at shooting as Stephen curry that's the truth. And you, and people that are listening to this might think I'm exaggerating. Stephen Curry, you can't look at Stephen Curry. And this is like, I talked about this with like artists, you know, r- musicians, like rappers, athletes. It's like me looking at Drake and I'm like, oh, if, man, if I just put my time into rapping and I just literally practice rapping every single day, then I'll be Drake. If I just practice singing every day, then I'll be like Beyonce. If I just practice basketball every day of my life, I'll be LeBron James. It's not like that. I agree, Eric, but that doesn't mean you should stop trying because you never know until you try. So everyone who's trying to be the next Steph Curry, keep at it. You know, I encourage you. Trying is good. I I encourage you. Trying is good. Stephen Curry is a good role model for the kids. Just saying, realistically, if you want to be in the NBA like Stephen Curry, you shouldn't play like Stephen Curry. Look Look at the road that Stephen Curry had to take. And Stephen Curry, that's with his dad being a former basketball player. You have to think him, his dad that's being a, a former point. basketball player has to help him at some point in becoming a professional basketball player, right? But even despite that, Stephen Curry had to work through all the, the you know, the obstacles to get to where he's at right now. Mm-hmm. I hope I did, you know, enough to show that I have a deep appreciation for what Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson are doing. I'm not a Warriors hater. I acknowledge their greatness, but I just think the Cavs are going to take the series. It's only one game. Yeah, I just I'm just gonna keep going. I'm like on this like rant mission right now. Let's, but let's go. In response to the overreaction after game one, it's like oh they lost, the Cavs lost by 22, dude. It looks like the Warriors are gonna take it. Blah 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 blah. So let's look back at the likelihood of the Cavs winning. Mm-hmm. Let's think about the probability of the Cavs winning at this point, being down 0-1, and compare that to being down 3-1. 
We've seen LeBron and the Cavaliers literally accomplish the most impossible thing in the history of sports. For example, I saw the Derek Fisher shot against the Spurs. 0.4 second left. The Lakers down by one, I believe. This was after Tim Duncan's miraculous shot by the top of the key. Derek Fisher catches the inbounds pass, throws up a prayer around the elbow area, and the shot goes in. Ever since that shot, if the game is still in reach and there is time left on the clock, 0.4, same thing with T-Mac. When there's still time left on the clock, I have to watch the entire game. I have to watch the end of the game so I know who won. Derek Fisher did that. T-Mac did the same. When a team is down 13 with like a minute something to go, I'm still watching. Why? Because T-Mac, I know somebody that came back and won here. LeBron did that when he was down 3-1. Mm-hmm. That means if LeBron goes down 3-1 this year, I still have hope. And let me talk about one more thing. There was one year the Boston Red Sox won the championship for the first time in a long time. And be- with the year they beat the Yankees. Right. And before, you know, the Nationals came to town and the Expos became the Nationals, I used to be a bandwagon fan for the Boston Red Sox, which is don't blame me for being a bandwagon fan when they're putting out good product out there. We talk about how sports... Sports teams are supposed to put up a good product out there, right? Yes. So that's exactly what they did. And that's why I love to watch them. Like the Pedro Martinez, you know, the Manny Ramirez, the David Ortiz, the Nomar Garcia Parra days. Hmm. That year when they finally broke the curse and won the World Series, they were down 3-0 against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. No one has come back from 3-0 before. But what do they do? The Red Sox come back from 3-0 and they win that series and move on to win the World Series after that. And now when I see a a team that's down 3-0, I think about the Red Sox. The Red Sox can do it. So when I think about the Red Sox comeback in that year, to me, it goes down as one of the greatest comebacks in history of sports. 3-0. And they came back to win that 4-3. Very similar. LeBron was down 3-1 and the Cavaliers were down 3-1. Not 3-0. 3-1. But you know what the biggest difference is? The Red Sox didn't play the greatest team of all time. The Red Sox just played a Yankees team. And that Yankees team was great. Obviously, they were there in the playoffs. So, they were a good team. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the greatest Yankee team or the greatest baseball team ever assembled in history. Yeah. Or the baseball team that won the most regular season games ever. LeBron and the Cavaliers came back from 3-1 against the best and the winningest team in the history of sports. 73-9. Yeah, he's... When If the Cavaliers were to come back from 3-1 deficit against the Wizards, against the Celtics, against any other team, just in general, would be a great accomplishment. Because if he, if any team is down 3-1 and you ask me, do you think they're going to come back down 3-1 to win the series? Us, both of us, knowing the history of the NBA, knowing that we've watched sports before, when they're usually in these situations, there's no way they're going to come back. But not only did the Cavaliers come back, they came back against the greatest team ever in the history of sports. So for us to sit here after game one and think that the Cavaliers are done and they won't be able to fight back from this obstacle, this obstacle is so small in comparison to the obstacles that LeBron hurdled last year. And yeah, so it's it's not this overreaction. Let's let's stop with it. Let's just enjoy the finals. Stop creating these narratives that really don't make sense. Yeah, and it's a uh, you know millennial point just. The sports media climate right now, we have to mention the time of year. It's June. So most sports, there's NHL finals going on right now. 
There's regular season baseball. But other than that, football's in the offseason. The NBA draft is coming up, but you know, most sports are on break. Yeah. There's UFC fights, you know, there's one coming up this weekend. But there's not a lot too much to talk about. It's off season, primarily off seasons. So the sports media kinda has to figure out a way to make things to talk about. Yeah. And this is one of those things where I just don't really agree because like you said, Eric, you just it's had a beautiful, you know, story that you told us about the Warriors and how they and you didn't even mention the part where they where they went down three one to the to the Thunder and came back to yes. beat them too. Yes. So it's not like that seventy three nineteen didn't go through adversity like this year's right. team that went twelve and zero and swept everyone. Like if Cavaliers didn't do what they did, like we would be talking about how amazing the Warriors were in coming back from three one deficit against the Thunder. Exactly. Like it would be, go down as one of the most memorable comebacks of all time because they did it in the year that they won the most regular season games right. and then won the championship. Right. But that team was beat by the Matthew Del Vadova-led Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes. And why do I say that? Because I saw a really funny meme today of, you know, why someone tweeted why the Cavaliers lost. And it was a picture of Photoshop picture of Matthew Del Vadova driving it against (laughs) Michael Jordan. (laughs) And it was, this is the reason why they lost. That's awesome. But hey, they have a point. The hey, we've been talking about how, how much they're gonna miss, defenders. how much they're gonna miss Matthew De La Vadova. Mm-hmm. Darren Williams coming out the bench is not the same. And we talked about the Darren Sproles and LeGarrette Blount. It's actually interesting because they're actually gonna be playing with the same Eagles now. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the you know the change of pace running backs. How you want to change styles when you bring up a player off the bench. You kind of want to have contrasting styles so that you know you can give them a different look. Right now, Kyrie goes off the floor. Darren Williams comes in. Darren Williams is the same kind of playmaker, three-point maker, veteran. I'm just thinking that, you know, maybe the Cavaliers, they could definitely use the Matthew Delevedo right now. Yeah. One more thing. One more response to how everyone's overreacting to this. LeBron's career record in game ones in the NBA Finals is 1-7. Obviously, that's not a great stat for LeBron, right? Especially since... He like doesn't lose in the first round, right? So right. isn't it interesting how he like always wins in the first round, but then he loses the first game of the finals like majority of the time. Right, right. And I think most times it does have something to do with the fact that LeBron's teams aren't always the higher seeded team. So mm-hmm. many of the times he's playing on the road for these games. Yeah. One thing I remember last year was last year the Cavaliers also dropped game one. But I remember watching the game and historically LeBron in all of his NBA Finals appearances, except for last year's, he's won game twos. After losing game one. Exactly. All eight cases, except for last year. And it only makes sense because LeBron has had a lot of time off. And I mean, so have the Warriors, but he's had a lot of time off from playing against quality teams, you could say. Yeah. Who did he beat this? He beat the Celtics. He beat the Pacers. My point is, the teams he's beating are not that great. He's having a pretty easy time. Maybe this is the case of, we, we've also talked about this, when the Rockets were playing the Thunder, and then they moved on to play That's the exactly Spurs. Right. Maybe they're experiencing that, that difference in competition level. Hopefully, you know, they adjust if that's the case. LeBron has a 1-7 record in the Game 1s. Game 2s, he does much better. The only Game 2 he's lost was last year. And going back to 2015, 2015, LeBron and the Cavaliers lost Game 1. Game two, in the Oracle, LeBron and the Cavaliers won without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in 2015. Obviously, did they have Kevin Durant at the time? No, but they still did have a lot of talent at the time. And one more thing I want to say, because I still hear in the media talking about 2016, 
oh, you know, if Draymond Green wasn't out for game five, the Warriors would have won. This just doesn't make sense to me. Like injuries, okay, that makes sense to me. Oh, like, hey, like if Kyrie and Kevin Love weren't hurt, they might have won. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because that's uncontrollable. It's not within the rules. The reason Draymond Green was suspended was not because of the magnitude of his foul on LeBron James. It was simply because he accrued too many flagrant points, too many flagrant fouls. I think it's four that if you have four in the whole NBA playoffs, the you're suspended one. a game. Yeah. yeah. The fourth one, yeah. Right. That's what the rule is. That's the penalty for being flagrant. If there was no penalty, then why wouldn't people just swing, like throw hands at everybody? If, you're, exactly. if there's no penalty for flagrant fouls, then why don't you fucking flagrant foul everybody? At, at every situation you foul somebody, you should flagrantly foul every time. That's, I think that's the 80s and the 90s. Right. <laughs> Basketball. Right. So there is a, a penalty for flagrant fouls. For a player like Draymond Green, who's special because he can trash talk other players and back it up, get in other people's heads, right? And that's what he's great at. You know, it comes at an expense of this. When you commit flagrant fouls that frequently and you have a reputation as being one of those players, I'm not saying that reputation is bad. It's a great reputation. I would love to have Draymond Green on on the Wizards or a team that I cheer for. He's a great teammate. The Warriors, everyone loves him there. Yeah. But when you're that guy, when you're the enforcer, when you're the guy that's yelling in everyone's faces, when you're the guy that's making the hard fouls, this is something that might come as a result of that. This is just this is a rule that's put in place already. This is like, oh, like let's say for example, LeBron fouls out in the third quarter and the Cavaliers lose the NBA Finals. That's like saying, oh, if LeBron didn't foul out, they would have won the series. Well, no, LeBron fouled six times and he was out of the game and therefore he couldn't participate in the game. Draymond Green committed too many flagrant fouls and therefore he was suspended for one of the games so he couldn't participate in the game. It's part of the game. It's a rule. You are are on fire today, Eric. Thank you, thank you. I gotta go off. This, you know, there's media is... Media is crazy these days. Not even just just sports. Fake news is fucking everywhere, man. You know, we we need to stay updated with the truth. I feel you, man. I'm all, I'm 100% with you for the truth. Is there anything else that stuck out to you like as a whole as a- about the game? Not really. I mean, the only thing that stuck out to me was the was the Rihanna, man. Stan Van Gundy interrupted his live broadcast to yep. talk about how Rihanna passed by his they need he's, to keep like booth. like water bottles like near there because he's fucking thirsty, man. Like he he's thirsty AF. <laughs> I think he's, I don't, I, he's, but, he's like, married too. I don't, but I don't blame him though. You know it's Rihanna. I mean, that's I what I'm saying too, man. Like you got a man. Like you're a man. You have a family, everything, and then Rihanna passes by, and you're you're on the job, and you just forget about everything. You just talk about Rihanna and how how, yeah. how stunning she looks. <laughs> that's what she said. It was it's funny because said, this was she looks stunning. <laughs> this was immediately after LeBron posterizes Javale McGee too. And it was like, oh, Rihanna. <laughs> exactly. It's this was in the early in the game when the game was still kind of close. Right. Something that happens during broadcasts, which I kind of like, is broadcasters. If the game is too far gone, they just kind of like to mess around. They talk about like the hotels they've been at, the yeah. the things that they're doing. They just kind of go off script because right. Who's who's watching, right? Who's watching a game where? the Warriors on NBA TV are up by 30 points and then the announcers will just kind of riff, right? And that, and you you can understand hey, that late in the game. Right. 
But this is early in the game, yeah. man. Stan Van Gundy, yeah. the first game of the finals. We've been waiting yeah. for this all year, and Stan, all Stan and Van Gundy can talk about. Happened. The, the game was very much close. Yes. Like, it was very much, you know, you didn't know but what was going to happen. But this is great, because the only thing Stan Van Gundy, not, not that we're saying that he stopped commentating altogether and just, like, left his chair, and he didn't, he didn't commentate for the rest of the night. Clearly, that's not what happened. But the fact that he would say that is just huge, in my opinion. Yeah, so let's... Let's go in depth about Riri, man. Because this is more, much more important than what we, the other things that we got to talk about. Yeah, the other stuff is bullshit. Like, let's get right. into the. Let's we get, gotta into get the right into it. So there are reports, initially, you know, it's kind of been clarified now. Mm-hmm. But there were reports that she, Rihanna, of course, she was sitting courtside, like Van Gundy says, she looked stunning. Yo, but hold up, hold up. There was that um picture going around of Rihanna like gaining weight or something. Have you seen that, dude? I don't care. <laughs> Rihanna with weight, with with no weight, dude. Rihanna's Rihanna, man. Okay, okay. But it's okay. Just wait, hold up. I just want to hold up again. If Rihanna looking like Rihanna right now, if that's Rihanna with weight, then we gotta really reconsider what the media is right now. Like if we're looking at that and saying that is weight, come on now. Eric, with the Rihanna fire looks, today. Rihanna looks great. Okay, I'm 100% with you, man. So yeah, so she's courtside, and there are reports that she was yelling brick. Whenever KD was shooting, mm-hmm. there was there was a clip when KD shooting at the free throw line, and he actually knocks down the free throw line, looks over to the Rihanna area, and there's another clip when KD knocks down a three and looks back at Rihanna again. Yeah, if you look, if you're looking for the videos online for the highlights, just wait for KD to look to the right side of the court. Yeah, if if the Warriors are going to the right side, look at him looking at the right side of the bench, and there's a spot that he continues to look at throughout the whole game. Yes. And of course, KD denied it on the podium. Someone, a reporter asked him about it, right? Right. And of course he denies it because you're not supposed to admit to those sort of things as a professional. I'm hoping that, I'm honestly sick of it, man. And I just feel like the NBA players are the best at this. And it just came to a point now with NBA players specifically, when they knowingly troll the media and everyone knows the truth. But they knowingly tell the tell the media the politically correct answer that wouldn't wouldn't get them in trouble, when the truth is already out there. Everyone knows what's going on. I don't know, man. I just feel a way about it. I just feel like it would change. I think LeBron actually started it. LeBron has this like me against the world kind of thing. So whenever he's answering questions to the media, like you know what you know what he does. Yo, he always exactly. looks at Kyrie and looks at Kevin, and they're like talking about like fucking Game of Game of Thrones, like during the post conferences. I'm sure, all. there's this old guy out there being like, "No, Bill Russell did it first. <laughs> Bill Russell did it first, okay? Young blood. <laughs> right. But it's been clarified. The person that was actually yelling brick was not Rihanna, but Rihanna's personal assistant that was sitting directly next to her. But regardless, KD's been on record on Twitter. He's actually thirsty too, man. Talk about Stan Van Gundy. Or sorry, Jeff Van Gundy. Kevin Durant's going at Rihanna too. He's like, hey, if I can marry anyone, it'll be Rihanna. If, if anyone can get Rihanna to give me a birthday shout out, go for it. And he was talking about how he was like, I'm not even gonna mention that other tweet. It's, you know, we need a fire truck over here for all these thirsty <laughs> guys chilling at Oracle. Right, but regardless of that, Rihanna. We also gotta include Matt Barnes in there, man. How do you think Matt Barnes feels? Matt- Katie's trying to sneak in on his girl, remember? What, Matt-, Matt Barnes and Rihanna is like a thing? Yeah, you don't remember? Uh, it, it was um, Matt Barnes tried to s- slide into her DMs and she like put him on blast. She, oh, yeah. Like, screenshot it and like put it up online and like everyone was like frying him about it. Yeah, we gotta give shout out to Rihanna, man. 
Great to see Rihanna there. I would love that Rihanna is going at Kevin Durant. We have to play the sound. It doesn't matter, bitch. Right, and the end of it is kind of inaudible, right? It's kind of hard to hear, but she's she's talking about how King James is still in the building. She's Team King James. She's gonna stick by Team James, uh, Team King James, and talking about being thirsty. She's actually kind of like thirsty for LeBron, man. So. Good yeah, to see that. I, I remember. I remember I, a couple years ago there was something about that too. Like she was like tweeting at him and stuff. Right. Yeah. And she, yeah. So good to see. And this is being a fan again. Like Rihanna, I just appreciate that Rihanna is enjoying the sport. She's being a fan, and she's very out there about it. She's not gonna be like, oh, like KD, like he's cool too. I'm gonna support him. Like, because there's a lot of that going on. Like everyone's buddy buddy. Like you, you can't just be a fan of LeBron. You gotta like LeBron, and you gotta like like everyone else too. But I love that Rihanna's just out there. Like, fuck Kevin Durant. I'm gonna be yelling brick. We're gonna take the championship. Yeah. So now that we got the most important thing out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about KD's game. I thought KD's game was like an undefensed game, if that makes any sense. We talked about his wide open dunks and then just add a couple threes to that. Yeah, Skip Bayless. Standard KD game in my yeah, opinion, man. Skip Bayless today was talking about LeBron James cannot defend Kevin Durant anymore and again this is an overreaction and this is going back to how quickly forget about we forget about LeBron LeBron totally dominates Kevin Durant for in the entirety of his career beat the OKC Thunder and again this OKC Thunder had Russell Westbrook James Harden and Kevin Durant yes they were much younger the Miami Heat and LeBron James take that team in five games that's the closest thing that it gets to a sweep the closest thing to four games is five games and that's including a Serge Ibaka 11 for 11 you love game. That. You, that's your that, favorite Serge that Ibaka. changed his career Serge yeah, Ibaka sure. going 11 you're for 11 right, you're right. You're turned right. him from you're right yeah turning into like a like a roll to the rim it, 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 guy at that moment he became this he's a great shot blocker that can kind of make outside shots here and there exactly to, he's a great shot blocker and sometimes he will give you 30 points and now game. now he thinks he's like Kristaps Porzingis or something right right just because he went 11 for 11 right but I'm not just talking about that final series either in 2012. We're talking about the whole career of Kevin Durant, how LeBron's been dominating him his whole career, and then one game in the NBA Finals. Whoa, like Kevin Durant cannot be guarded. Please, let's get out of here with that. And to Kevin Durant's credit, I felt like he played a great game. And he it was picked not... up LeBron on a couple possessions. Yeah. In, like in the post, and he did an okay job. Yeah. And it was not surprising to me at all. Kevin Durant had to do this. It's not surprising. I don't think it's surprising to anyone that he came out for game one and just really put on because pressure, right? Who has the most on the line this series? Yeah, and when it comes to Kevin Durant, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more 30-point games from him in this series because 73-9 plus Kevin Durant, like, what do you do? Yeah, and we, we'll see this happen again. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, but there was a, a post-game, like, interview. It was Doris Burke. Mm-hmm. And Doris Burke was just like no filter, like she, she like doesn't care. She was like, "Hey, last time you were in the finals, you were crying." Like <laughs> Kevin Durant, you can see kind of Kevin Durant kind of like kind of caught off guard. That's when he was uh, hugging his parents, hugging his mom. Yeah, yeah. After, after the game, like, "Oh, I lost." Yeah, but QQ. <laughs> so I love that. I love that Doris Burke put Kevin Durant on blast. Like, hey, we know why you're here because your ass was fucking crying the last time you lost, and you have to be on the Warriors now trying to win. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure on Kevin Durant. Great game in game one for Kevin Durant. He showed up, but that's what the Warriors have to do. And that's why I keep talking about when they face adversity. Right now, the Warriors, their expectation is they won't face adversity because they're that good. They're thinking they're going to go 16-0. Right. And that is the expectation. 
But when that adversity hits, and I, in my opinion, I think it will hit. Why? Because they're playing the greatest player in this generation. What they did was great, but it was supposed to be that way. This is what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Win game one at home. So that's it for Kevin Durant. Anything else that stuck out to you? He was great. I, mean, I don't know what else to say. It's like, oh, Kevin Durant scored 38 points. Like, I knew he can do that. He has to do that. Um, I'm trying to think of a play that, that like stuck out to me. You know, he had a few dunks. Yeah, Rihanna was... The, the catching was the ball out of bounds, man. That was crazy. <laughs> catching the ball out of bounds? When he was on the, the left wing and he caught the, the pass that was supposed to go out of bounds. At least I think it was supposed to go out of bounds. It looked off target to me, but mm-hmm. his, his wingspan is yeah. crazy. Let's talk about Steph then. Steph hey. also had a great game. I thought he was came out really confident. I forget what did did we get to watch uh, Stephen Curry like in pregame drills? Yeah, yeah, we saw that. He made the shot from the, the the tunnel, right? And even before that, you know, just being on the floor, how loose he was, how mm-hmm. confident he was. It was clear last year, and we talked about Stephen Curry how he had to come back early for no fucking reason against the Blazers, the mm-hmm. seventy three and nine team that won the most games ever in his in the history of the NBA. They are playing this lower-seeded team for the Blazers, and they panic, and they bring back their superstar early from injury, and obviously that had a lingering impact for the rest of the playoffs, including the Cavaliers series. But this season, this playoff season, he looks phenomenal. He looks like he's in great shape. Did you get to see his new shoes that he just put out there? Yeah, he got clowned a lot for the, his most, the shoe Those released bows. before that, exactly. So it's good to see some you know, redemption with shoes but you know some research that we did off off the air you know we were looking into like we were really questioning like you know like what's the, like who took the biggest hit in the warriors right yeah and and it was very clear looking at the stats we went we went through the players and the and clay thompson's stats actually went up right or, and hovered around the same but clay, the, well, clay thompson's most of his stats hovered around the yeah. same just that he is hitting three-pointers at a lower rate yes but the attempts like yeah. and everything minutes like it was all very similar. Yeah. But when we looked at Steph Curry, he took the biggest hit to shot attempts, to three points attempted. So when we look at, you know, the accommodation of Kevin Durant into this Warriors team, that's the biggest thing we saw. And as you mentioned, it's great to see him being confident. And the biggest number that sticks out to me for Steph Curry is his 11 three-point attempts. Right. He was six for 11 from the field from three. And just the fact that he was so confident in some of those shots that he was making or vintage bad shot for everyone else, good shot for Steph Curry shots. The off the dribble from two feet beyond the arc, just in transition, pull up on LeBron James, like, you know, when he's very close to you, just just very abnormal things for other players, but for a Steph Curry, it makes it look so easy. Steph is looking great. He looks like right now he's just thinking, I'm not gonna think too much. I'm just gonna try to do my thing and have fun. Worked out great for game one. Again, what's really gonna matter is what if it doesn't work out? In game like, six. Right. In like game how five. does he respond to when things don't work out? Absolutely. And we saw in the last year when he threw that behind the back pass, and we've never seen him do that before. Like, Stephen Curry do- doesn't make those kind of plays, right? So when we saw that behind the back pass last year, it wasn't like, oh, that's such a bad play. It was really more a- an evidence that shows where Steph is at in terms of his mental game, you know? So it'll be interesting to see how he responds when things don't go his way. But to his credit, had a great phenomenal game one. So nothing, I'm not gonna say, nothing bad for me to say about Stephen Curry in that game, man. Yeah, he, he was dancing, a lot, of, a lot of Instagram posts about him kicking his legs and stuff. It's like, oh, I've never yeah. seen anyone kick their legs before. 
I thought it was alright I thought it was okay it's, He's having a good time So Steph, Steph his confidence Is right. back for sure 100% Yeah he um He actually was sporting This shooting sleeve Earlier in the game And he was on record Talking about how He low key Kind of wants to be Like Alan Anderson Yep And he actually Later in the game Took off the shooting sleeve I don't know if you've ever Worn a shooting sleeve before Like have you ever done that I think I did it as a joke And <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to man I've always wanted to But I never actually Got down to doing it Yeah I've never tried it myself I mean I'm I'm all for it. You know, some people like see other people wearing shooting sleeves like, oh, like, who does he think he is? Like all this stuff. Exactly. I'm in the camp that if you feel like something helps your game, Deion Sanders, for example, you look good, you play good, right? Yep. I guess Stephen Curry was trying to do that with the shooting sleeve, but he wasn't feeling it. What do you think about that? Does, does a shooting sleeve actually help a player? If it helps your mental game at all, it helps. Something that, um, that people in the, in, exactly, in the medical field, when people are getting treated for cancer, a lot of times people will do chemotherapy and they'll be like, hey, I've heard of this Eastern stuff, Eastern medicine, you know, homeopathic stuff. Like, can I try this, that? Doctor goes, if it helps you out in your mental game, go for it. Anything that'll help you have a positive mindset is good. So shooting sleeve, you know, sexual activity, whatever it is before the game. If, it, if you think it helps you, I'm all for it, man. All right, so let me get into Clay Thompson now. Prior to game one, we recorded the pod, MVP 12. We talked about how Clay's had to, you know, make make some adjustments this season. Kind of like how Kyrie's had to adjust to playing with LeBron. Kind of like how D-Wade had to adjust to playing with um, LeBron as well. Clay Thompson shot three for 16 from the field in game one. Zero for five from three-point line. His stat line was six points, three rebounds, and four assists. That's not that great, man. Not great at all. Especially it's for actually a Splash Brother. Not that great would be like a good way to put it. It's actually terrible for all the standards of a like you said, a Splash Brother. It's terrible. But I wanted to get into this. Clay Thompson, I felt like, played a great game yesterday. I read a stat, I think it was one for twelve that the Cavaliers were when they were being guarded by Clay Thompson. And there was a tweet from CJ McCollum during the game. He tweeted Clay gonna get another ring and find his own squad. They better enjoy him while he's there. What do you think about that? Do you think Clay Thompson has a chance to leave the Warriors? And if you were Clay Thompson, would you want to leave the Warriors? There's always a chance of someone leaving. If LeBron can leave Cleveland, then anyone can leave. And if Michael Jordan can leave the Bulls, and to the second part of the question, if I was Clay Thompson, would I leave? Hell no, I would not leave. I have Kevin Durant and. Steph Curry on my squad, and I'm like one of the greatest shooters of all time, Klay Thompson. But are you though? One thing that Klay Thompson has to deal with is he's not a better shooter than Stephen Curry. Do you think he actually believes that? There is not one part in Klay Thompson's body, not one brain cell that actually believes that Stephen Curry is a better shooter than him. I think no way, man. I think they, they definitely think that about each other. I think Clay thinks he's the best shooter. I think Steph thinks he's the best shooter. And yes. I think and I think uh right, KD so, thinks he's the best shooter. Right, right. So when I bring when you bring up I'm recognized as one of the greatest shooters of all time, he is not though. Like he has to believe that I'm not getting enough recognition. I need to be getting Steph's recognition. In order for him to leave, right? That's how he needs to feel. He needs to feel like slighted for him to leave. Is what you're saying? I'm saying he might feel slighted right now. Like, like, I understand, like he, when you say everyone sees me as one of the greatest shooters of all time, yes, that's true. And this is going back to how 
much information and how involved and how updated the NBA fans are nowadays. But consensus, it's Stephen Curry that's the greatest shooter right now. Yes, Clay's getting enough credit, but to Clay's ability as a shooter, he deserves more credit than he's getting right now, in my opinion. So would you leave? You still wouldn't leave? I wouldn't leave, especially after getting Kevin Durant. Your chance of winning a championship has gone up significantly. I would not leave, especially because when you look at Klay Thompson, he his personality seems to be kind of like a low-key, kind of just like chill kind of player. So I don't think he's the ego type player. And you also have to realize that CJ McCollum has a podcast. So as a podcast person, you have to consider things that are going to be on the podcast. Okay. I think there could be a chance. Man, it's tough. Let me just talk about- I think about it would depend on the money and the other situation that he's leaving too. Yeah, let me talk about uh, Scottie Pippen, right? Scottie Pippen kind of feels this way, right? Always being overshadowed by Michael Jordan. And he did leave to the to the Blazers. And he tried to do it on his own. And he realized, you know, you could, you could point out the bad refing in that game. Oh, At that time, Pippen was not in his prime though. Klay Thompson's very much in his prime. But my point is, a lot of people try to leave and do it on their own. And then they realize, oh, it wasn't as good. You know, the grass is not always greener. There's always that. So I think it would be foolish for Clay to leave purely based on the assumption that he wants to win it on his own. But okay, because we talked about CP3 on the last pod, why he might want to leave to the Spurs. Mm -hmm. And the reason obviously for that is the championship. Yeah. The reason for Klay Thompson leaving the Warriors is not to get a championship. Of course. You know that. It's to prove his value. Right. It's to show the league and show all the fans how limited he was being under Stephen Curry. And I'm going to get into this. Again, 1 for 12 against Klay Thompson. Elite defender. To me, Curry and Thompson, 1A and 1B in the history of the game. And this is what I mean by he's not getting enough recognition. If I were to go up to somebody... Steph is a better shooter than Ray Allen. I think most people will be like, oh, okay, sure. I can kind of see that, you know, Ray Allen's a legend. You know, Stephen Curry hasn't really played as long as Ray Allen has, but Stephen Curry's done enough. If I go to somebody, Klay Thompson's a better shooter than Ray Allen. I think it's much more likely that arguments might come from that than the Stephen Curry versus Ray Allen argument. But for me, when I look at it, Klay Thompson's by far, it's a large margin better than Ray Allen in my opinion. Yeah, Clay has had his share of great performances. The the quarters where he's like scored a lot of three pointers. He's yeah. he holds he scored sixty and three quarters this year. And you have to realize that the Warriors they shoot like thirty threes a game, like minimum. So imagine how many of those Steph is taking and how many more Clay Thompson can take. Right. And let me just bring up the all time three pointers made in a season records. And if you look at that list. Number one, Stephen Curry. Number two, Stephen Curry. Number three is Klay Thompson. Yeah. What I'm thinking is, let's say Klay did not play on the same team as Stephen, who set the record. Mm -hmm. That obviously increases the chances of Klay having more three-pointers made. Yeah. So Klay Thompson can easily be a three-point shooter that's, that's just as great or just by a little bit, like a fraction worse than Stephen Curry, which is a legendary level. And Klay Thompson on top of that can handle the ball and play both ways and play elite defense. That shows me that if Klay Thompson was playing on a different team, not with Stephen Curry, he can easily put up 400 three-pointers for a season. 
and lead the league in scoring potentially. Klay Thompson hasn't been able to do that. Klay Thompson in game one was a defensive specialist that didn't make any threes. And the Warriors are fine with that right now. And I'm sure, like you said, Klay is laid back. He's fine with that right now. But that's what a lot of fans are missing out on because Seven Curry is taking a lot of that attention because he's such a great shooter. But that's not to take away from how great of a shooter Klay is. Mm -hmm. So I thought the CJ McCollum tweet was interesting. Again, it's history. How do you want to be remembered? Kevin Durant, one of the... One of the things about Kevin Durant, people are talking about, oh, you know, in 30 years, we're not going to be talking about how Kevin Durant left the OKC Thunder to join the Warriors. I actually disagree with that. It's fucking 2017. We still talk about Miami Heat, how LeBron left the Cavaliers. We're not living in two, uh, 1980s, 1990s anymore when people forget things. We're in an era where everything's put down. Everything's on record. People are always going to remember KD leaving, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. People just gloss over, oh, they're only going to remember his championships. You're sleeping on the power of information. We don't know as much about what Will Chamberlain, what Bill Russell did, what John Havlicek, those guys did, because it was in an era where it was hard to keep all the information down. We're in an era right now, we fucking hear about Rihanna being at the game. Like, Rihanna is a storyline. A celebrity sitting courtside yelling brick because now the cameras are catching the sound. Yeah. That's a storyline now. Like, we have information about Rihanna. Mm -hmm. So, definitely interesting to think about. Klay Thompson is a, an amazing player. So hopefully we see Klay turn his game around. Not too much because if he goes ham, I don't think the Cavaliers stand a chance. But let, now let's get into, let me get into some Cavaliers players. Now I'm looking at the box score for game one. Tristan Thompson, zero points, four rebounds. J.R. Smith, three points, zero rebounds, zero assists. Kyle Korver can't knock down one three. And we saw the looks Kyle Korver had. Those are good looks that Kyle Korver wasn't hitting. Mm -hmm. One player I want to talk about is Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson last season in the in the finals played phenomenally. So good. Yeah, there's a good Zach Lowe piece on it as well, if you guys want to check that out. Right. How he was demoralizing. Yeah. On the offensive glass. Shout out to good journalism. For sure. Shout out to Zach Lowe. Last season when they were going into the finals they as in the Cavaliers were going to the finals against the Warriors I remember thinking to myself man if Tristan Thompson can play well he's like that wild card if Tristan Thompson get, can get that double-double Cavaliers are a different team and I was amazed I remember seeing last season because I thought Tristan Thompson was an above average role player but the way he performed last season in the finals the impact that he had it wasn't just above average role player he was yeah especially because he when, had the same impact that like deandre jordan would have in my opinion yeah because when lebron james joined cleveland he mentioned tristan thompson right in his letter right and tristan thompson was re-signed to a pretty huge contract right and a lot of people are scratching their heads like tristan thompson really the guy who can't does he even know how to shoot like right. like Didn't he just the, switch the, hands the motion and, and exactly free throws like <laughs> yeah like a poor man's deandre that's exactly yeah. how you would put him like yeah, a run and, and jump dunk kind of guy right he's, picks. and he's an effort player and one thing i love about tristan is his effort man like when you compare it to deandre jordan right you're absolutely right it's kind of similar styles that they play but deandre jordan you can see his length his physicality how his vertical and you can see those things tristan thompson he's not exactly a seven foot kind of guy right he's not exactly a, a leaper that's gonna posterize brandon knight and put him in a coffin right but yeah. tristan thompson is everywhere like Zach Lowe said, he's demoralizing. But now, you mentioned it. Does Tristan Thompson have a reliable offensive game? 
No. If you ask, if you were to ask somebody, how would Tristan Thompson score? It's usually off a pick and roll when LeBron gets him a, a good pass and he has a layup to make, or if it's it's off Put a back. Right. It's it's off an offensive rebound. So because he lacks a reliable offensive game in the half court. Right. There are games when Tristan Thompson, because he doesn't get the offensive rebounds, he is totally ineffective. Zero points, four rebounds. Only three shot attempts, no blocks, no steals. So this kind of performance was a performance I was afraid I would see last season. But Tristan Thompson just bought out. So I take this game as just an anomaly for Tristan Thompson. I think he's going to have a great series. He's definitely going to have to you know, step his play up in order for them to have a chance in game two. J.R. Smith with three points. He's going to turn around. But at the same time, like you can't expect J.R. to drop 20 every game. Another interesting stat, Kevin Love, he recorded 21 rebounds. Yeah, I believe that's a playoff career high. I thought Kevin Love, you know, he didn't shoot as well from the field, but I thought he was aggressive. Same with Kyrie. Never in that game did I think that Kyrie and Kevin Love and LeBron were kind of lethargic and sluggish. I'm just looking forward to seeing what types of changes they're going to make. Because obviously this was the first encounter. And the first encounter, you see a lot. And things that might not even pay dividends till games four or five, but... Yeah, I totally agree with you when it comes to the bench of the and the role players of the Cavs not playing well. And when you combine that with the t- 20 turnovers, of course the Warriors are going to win. Right. Was- but we also have to realize that, as you mentioned, Klay Thompson did not make any threes, zero from five. So the Warriors won, the Cavs players did not play well, and LeBron needs to somehow get his role players more engaged in the offense. Yeah. And take the pressure off. And, you know, I'm a LeBron fan. Right. No way. <laughs> but I'm going to say this. I realized today, how many times do we hear the words LeBron needs more help? Right. We've heard this way too many times. And I think there is times when LeBron does so much for a team. He puts everyone in the right places to be successful. And when we talked about the Cavaliers acquiring Kyle Korver earlier this season, you know, the talk, you know what LeBron was talking about after they acquired Kyle Korver, right? When he was talking about how he wants to pass to his shooters, mm-hmm. he's talking about JR, he's talking about Kyle Korver, and he's talking about how they, where they like to catch the ball, where they oh, like yeah, to catch yeah. the ball so that they can be in an optimal place like, to make shots. Like JR likes to dip it low, and like right. Kyle Korver likes to catch it like closer to his face. Right, yeah. right. So LeBron does a lot to put his teammates in the perfect position to have success. He's very good at that. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like his teammates get used to that they sit there and wait for LeBron to create that opportunity for them. And I feel like because of that reason, we see LeBron sometimes being that pass-happy player. Mm -hmm. But I just like that LeBron, he wasn't that player in game one. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm getting no help. I'm going to do my thing and just pass all the time now so that I can get my other guys involved. Kind of like James Harden in game six. Right. He was more like, man, I got Kyrie, I got me. We're going to put up buckets. JR, Tristan... Kyle Colbert, one of you guys are ready. Let's go. So I liked what I saw from LeBron and not becoming the James Harden meltdown that he could have easily become because he didn't, he wasn't getting any help. Let's look at this. Like Kyle Colbert doesn't have a three. Darren Williams has zero points on four field goals, but it is on the Cleveland Cavaliers role players. They need to step up. LeBron is not going to do everything for them. They need to start making plays themselves. All right, wrapping things up in the first game in the series. What are your predictions for the game two, Eric? In game two, obviously, 
the Warriors are favored. Like, I know that, and I understand that. It's more likely that the Warriors win than the Cavs do. But with that said, I just think the Cavaliers have to take it. You know, our prediction is Cavs in six. I don't expect Warriors to win two games at home and then for the Cavs to sweep the next four games. That's not the way I expect it to go. So that's why I see the Cavaliers take game two. Yeah, see, Eric, I actually think they're going to sweep. So I think the Warriors take this game too. The Warriors feel good right now. They're going to continue to do what they do. They're going to continue the good things that they did in game two, in game one and continue them in game two. And I think maybe Klay Thompson will have a resurgence, but I think they're going to win game two. But after that, there's going to be a little bit of more time to recuperate for the team. They're going to be able to, they're going to have their home court advantage and, they're going to, and the Cavs are going to make the changes that they need to make in order to just discombobulate the Warriors. So. I think the Warriors still win game two. So you're thinking games three and four, the Cavaliers take it at home, come back to Oakland for game five with the momentum after winning two games in a row. Yep, take game all the five, changes. And then game six to close it out. Okay, definitely possible, yeah. But I, my prediction for the finals is not in question at all. I'm not worried. Yeah, just a few things we want to talk about before we get out of here, right? Yeah, just some news some, around the NBA. Some updates on what we were just previously talking about. So CP3, like Mark Stein tweeted today, that if CP3 were to leave the Clippers, he would give the Spurs a serious consideration. But what we're really wondering is, is Chris Paul leaving the Clippers, right? <laughs> That's obviously the decision that everyone's waiting on. Next one was Adam Silver. He had a message out there about the one and dones, and he was saying how the one and dones hasn't really helped anybody. And he had the stat saying, the very first year they changed the age to 18 to 19. There was only two one and dones in that draft mm-hmm. the year after. This current draft that's coming up right now, there's 20 one and duns. Yeah. I actually like the one and duns as an NBA fan. The real concern is how the one and duns change up the NCAA. Yeah. But I'm an NBA fan. Like, you know, as an NBA fan, I'm a fan of one and duns. I think it's actually better than players coming out of high school. I think players coming out of high school is proven that it's a little too young. I think players coming out of college after one year is okay. Like, look at all the guys, like John Wall, you know, it's funny. The Marcus Cousinses, the Anthony Davises, the Kevin Durant's, the a lot of one and dones have proven to be legitimate basketball players in the NBA. I don't know exactly what Adam Silver is gonna do to change this rule, but a change is coming for sure. It's funny that you say that, Eric, because your favorite player came straight out of high school and he just tore up the league his, right. his rookie season. So I'm not against the high school high um, players coming on right out of high school either. I'm just saying that there's more risk in that than the one and done. Yeah, so like, I feel like one and done and coming out of high school is very much the same. But that one year does make a, th- a little difference in my opinion. So I would rather have this, but I'm not against any of those. Yeah, so we could have a whole separate podcast about this issue. So I'll just make it short, but it's unconstitutional putting an age limit on, on sports. Like to say an 18 year old is more ready than a, or a 19 year old is more ready than an 18 year old at this level of athleticism is ridiculous. We have 15 year olds who are six, five playing basketball and we're, and we're trying to put age limits on, on players. You know, this is honestly, Adam Silver works for the league and the league is composed of 30 owners. And these owners don't want to make these risky ass draft selections, picking guys who've only played one year in college and they're not sure what's going to happen to them. Kind of like what's happening in the NFL. That's what happened to the NFL because they don't get as much experience now. It's very hard to draft. And you could be like, oh, NFL has 11 players, 53-man roster, blah, 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 blah. But my point is this move is so that the owners 
can make an easier time picking good teams. Because when the talent is all one and dunning, you're not sure whether they're going to be a James Young or they're going to be a Anthony Davis. So, man, you feel for James Young, man. I really do. I really that that it dunk. Makes you sad in that like in in the Boston bench, like rotting away in Boston bench. Yeah, like, he's playing D League games, like changing his hair all the time. Like, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, when you play NBA Two K, though, like in year like two thousand like twenty, like he's sick. Yeah, in so the my career, right? Yeah, at least at least that means something, but. Yeah, I mean, this is just the, in my opinion, this is just Adam Silver trying to cover for the owners. Yeah, I actually wanted to play the sound while you were talking about the difference between 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, and I kind of agree with you. When you say un- unconstitutional, I agree with you. Like, who is anybody to say, oh, you can't do this, or he can do that? But when you talk about 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, I actually do think there is a big jump be- between a high school senior and someone that's gone through a freshman year of college and especially i totally agree right especially where we're at with sports and how the media covers college athletes even with mm-hmm. the professionals i think it's great that the high school kids get to experience college and experiencing college nowadays and we've all already talked about how we think college players more than deserve to get paid right and Absolutely. being a college uh, sports athlete sorry being a college athlete now is very much like being a professional so i like that these kids get to experience that and learn oh i'm i'm just under so much more scrutiny i need to look out for myself and i think it gives them a realization of what they're dealing with yeah i agree with you on that point between 18 and 30 one year is a huge difference after after 30 i feel like 30 to 31 you know like 45 46 but 18 19 you're right is a huge difference so i will acknowledge that no no no. but the second thing is in in terms mm -hmm. of uh, physique and athleticism, like you said, I don't think there's that much of a difference. Yeah, but the mental but, game, yes. Yeah, right, but in terms of understanding what the business that NBA is, yeah. understanding how you're going to be you know, perceived in the media and things like that. I Even 22 to 23 is a big deal. When you graduate from college and you have that first year when you're living on your own and you're not with your parents anymore, you're not a student, you know, you have to pay your own taxes, you have to pay rent and everything. That's a huge step up between 22 and 23. So physically, 22, 23-year-old, not that big a difference, but mental game, I'm totally with you, life circumstances. But last thing, man, you, you stopped yourself when you said sports athlete and to just athlete. You, have, you were correct in saying sports athlete. There's this new wave coming, Eric, uh-huh. of these esports athletes. And for all of you who say they're not athletes, you guys need to check yourselves. You guys aren't, you guys just are not knowledgeable about video games. These guys' reaction times, their finger speed, their hand eye coordination is outside this world. When you watch these world like, Halo championships or world like uh, like Rainbow Six mm-hmm. uh, Counter Strike games. When you see this stuff, and you and you truly appreciate it, like you know the rules of basketball, right? So when you watch LeBron doing what he's doing, you go, "Wow, that's amazing." When you know the rules of the esports world, mm-hmm. you will be amazed at these esports athletes. I will go as far to say they're athletes. Everyone who says they're not athletes, fuck you. Just because they weren't born with a blessed body does not mean their brain does not allow them to be athletic in the esports world. I'm in your camp and thinking that esport is actually a sport. And let me go well, in. If esport is a sport, does that mean the esports players are athletes? Yes. Great. That's that's that's, that's what I wanted to hear. And in order for us to come to that conclusion, we need to define what a sport is. Mm-hmm. And I talked to you about this before. This is my personal opinion. I think there's a big difference between a sport and a game. For example, golf and bowling, in my opinion, to me. Are not sports those are games you compete against a score you're not competing against a person you're competing against a score you can play the game without anyone being there you can play the game by yourself all alone and put up a score 
you're fighting against 300 when you're bowling. Mm-hmm. When you're golfing, you're fighting against the par, right? However many strokes you had. So to me, when I see that, those are games. Sports is when you compete against another human being. Hmm. You see face to face, and there's interactions with another person, and you have to beat and win against a person. That to me is a sport. When you're winning against the game, you're beating a score. We don't have enough time to get into it, but you know, what about what about javelin? What about what about archery? What about? But like I said, we don't have time to. I don't have time to go through the, the stuff. So let's move on to our next topic. Two actually serious things. Yeah, real serious. I mean, which one should we get into first? I mean, okay, first one is Ennis Cantor. Just an update from his situation. Yeah, I mean, why don't we talk about that since you brought it up? Uh, Ennis Cantor had his passport revoked. He's a Turkish national. He's back in the United States. He kind of talked about how his family's in danger. And lo and behold, was it yesterday or was it today? It was today. He actually released a statement saying how... This is the quote. Quote, he is potentially to get tortured as thousands of others. And of course, Ennis Cantor is talking about his father that just got arrested. So for those who are not caught up in the world news, Turkey's kind of a crazy place. I mentioned that last podcast. Some people are getting arrested if you don't agree with the government. Kind of like very Hitler-esque, as Ennis Cantor put it himself. But man, this is just really tough. Like anyone who's, you know, dealt with their family, like... It's really hard because when people go through stuff, hard times, that's like you going through it. But people hate seeing your family go through stuff. And I can't even imagine, you know, living in America and then knowing that your, you know, relatives or overseas are being mistreated. This is really a hard situation to deal with and just shows how real it is. You know, we like sometimes say it as a joke, but it's real in the field, man, for some, some people on this planet. Like just existing, living and breathing is really hard. And yeah, we have to appreciate what we have here. Yeah, and just one random thing that just came to mind is I admire nationalism. You know, there's, there's patriotism, right? Mm-hmm. And Cantor is, like you said, a Turkish native that's playing in the U.S. He has a job in the U.S. as an NBA player. Mm-hmm. He can easily move his family out to America. But they did, but he didn't. I'm just assuming that that was probably because his family wanted to stay there. Yeah. His family would rather stay there than to move, you know, have a new life in America. And that to me is like nationalism. They love their own country. They love Turkey, right? But despite having that love for their country, this is how they're being treated. Mm -hmm. It's tough, man. It's tough. So... Yeah, just, you know, hug your loved ones, let them know how you feel, because who knows what can happen the next day. Right. Yeah. Just a lot of things in the world, man. And another thing that we got to talk about is what happened with LeBron just recently. It was actually like immediately after we finished the previous pod, we heard about this. Yeah. LeBron's home in Los Angeles, and who knows how many homes he has in Los Angeles, right? But... One of his homes in Los Angeles was vandalized. Uh, allegedly, the N-word was sprayed, spray-painted onto his house. And LeBron also had a press conference. He was a little solemn. So LeBron first out, he said, my family's safe. So he, so we're all good there. But, but what we really want to talk about is 
the response to this to LeBron's press conference. And I guess I'm doing a poor job of explaining the story. Uh, LeBron had a press conference. He was solemn. He talked about how racism is still alive in America. Yep. He talked about how he deals with it all the time, despite his status. That's what he said. Um, I, I can't quote him directly, but he said, you know, yeah. it's like, no matter how rich you are, no matter how famous you are, no matter how, how much influence you have, yep. no matter, that's he said, how many people admire you, you still have to, at the end of the day, he's a black man in America. Right. The angle that we kind of want to talk about is our good friend, no, I'm fucking with you guys, <laughs> a fuckboy named Jason Whitlock came out and had a long, you know, segment on FS1 about okay, this. Okay, before, before you, you go in on that. Oh, you just want to give our, our no, 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 opinions no, first? Right, I mean, before you go in on that, because clearly I don't think you agree with Jason Whitlock. Oh, fuck Jason Whitlock. But this is something that is difficult to talk about for people that aren't African-Americans mm -hmm. because we will never understand what they're going through. We can kind of understand we're Asian-Americans, so we've seen discrimination, right? We've seen prejudice, right? But we can only imagine, right? I, I just think it's stupid. I think it's foolish. And I think it's pointless when you start talking about which discrimination's worse, right? Who's seeing more discrimination? I think it's stupid and foolish to start comparing that but at the same time, for me as an Asian American to say I've seen the discrimination or the prejudice that African Americans might see in America would be kind of out of place. For example, I've never had my my door and some racial slur written on my door. Like I've never had that before. I've never been black before. I don't know how it feels to be black. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, you know, it feels to be in America as an African American. So that's just some, something I wanted to say first. I'm also with you. I didn't agree with what Jason Whitlock said, but I feel like that's something we need to preface this um, by saying. Yeah, quick aside, I really like what you said there, Eric. You had a very open perspective about race because you can't understand what someone else is feeling. And that's something that we need to do better as a country. We need to sympathize with others better. So let's bring it back to Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock came out on FS1 and said that LeBron, let me quote, let me kind of paraphrase what he's saying. He said, LeBron's dealing with this stuff but it's not that bad because LeBron is rich and the real problems, the real racism occurs to poor people, not rich people. So LeBron, you need to kind of get over it. I think that's what his, or this isn't a real issue. That's what kind of Jason Whitlock said. What he said is fucking bullshit because money doesn't fix certain problems. Money doesn't change the way your skin looks. Money doesn't change how people look at you or the whispers you hear. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit, man. Just the, the the fact that you think that money can that solve kind of, your that problems. That kind of reaction is like if LeBron's Venmo account got hacked or something and he lost the $50 that was in his Venmo account. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, hey, you're LeBron James, though. Like, you don't have to worry about $50. Like, $50 is not a big deal. But this is a big deal. Like, we're not talking about just... We're not talking about money. So I don't know why Jason Woodlock's bringing in money. Like, having money is going to bring you immunity and cure for racism like you're not gonna feel like shit when someone writes a racial slur on the fucking property that you own yeah so i thought it was also kind of insensitive but again maybe jason whitlock knows more being african-american than i do maybe if i was african-american i would feel somewhat similar to jason whitlock did like that's where i stand i don't know how i feel because i'm not an african-american yeah. if it was a korean american that was saying this then I can kind of relate. Oh, I know how it feels to be a Korean American. This is not right. This is bad, but... I mean, 
I'm with you, but from, you know, we shouldn't always do this, but I think gauging Twitter reaction is an is kind of like a litmus test to kind of see how people are feeling about a certain subject, right? So for instance, like Katy Perry comes out with a new album, right? As an example, if you check Twitter and you look at all the, the top like 50 or so tweets, I think you can get a general feel for how people in who are involved in social media, because not everyone uses social media, by the way, but people who use social media feel about the topic, the general consensus. Yeah. And the general consensus for Jason Whitlock was F Jason Whitlock. Martellus Bennett was going off on him. Torrey Smith went off on him. A lot of black athletes went off on him. And I saw one, one tweet that said, you know, if people are always missing what you're saying all the time, then maybe what you're saying is not correct. Right. Maybe you should change what you're saying so people don't always have to m misinterpret what you're saying. Yeah. This is the way I look at it. LeBron, when you talk about that press conference, I thought he was more serious than I thought he would be. Because I'm sure that he's had worse things done to him. Worse things than a racial slur written in his front gate. Mm -hmm. For example, we've already talked about how there's a woman calling LeBron a pussy ass bitch, like at the game. And of course, that's not a racial slur, but at the same time, like the, the impact is there, you know? So I was kind of, I would say, surprised to see LeBron be that serious. But like, how can you fault a person for putting out a serious message about something that's very serious? For Jason Woodlock to say, oh, LeBron's being way too serious about this. Come on, man. Like, that's exactly what LeBron's supposed to do. He has so much influence. And we talked about, you know, Shaq's influence. We talked about Ennis Cantor's influence. LeBron has an influence. He's using his platform to communicate that message. So I thought it was great for LeBron. Man, I love what you're saying, Eric. We should get away from the negative. What Jason Woodlock does really... Yeah, I'd say we, we focus on the positive. LeBron, he is, he is arguably the GOAT in basketball, but I think he might be the goat of athletes when it comes to conducting yourself because LeBron has never gotten in any trouble. He always says the right things. He doesn't stay quiet on social issues. When he was on the heat, he wore the, um, the, the they all wore the hoodies together yeah. for the Trayvon Martin. LeBron always has his ear close to the grindstone. And for those of you who are Michael Jordan's fans, let me remind you that someone asked Michael Jordan one time in an interview, you know, about how he feels about politics. And he said, Democrat, Republican, I don't care as long as you keep buying my shoes, as long as you keep buying my products. And that's something that you have to think about when you think about Michael Jordan. Because on contrast, there's LeBron James who's willing to talk about racial issues despite how certain people may feel about it. Right. Again, LeBron doesn't have to do that. Exactly. LeBron, LeBron could have easily said, don't worry about it. It's my business. It's taken care of. I'm focused on game one. He could have pulled out some Bill Belichick shit and done right. that. And, please, and just know there is a pod coming eventually in the future that I want to talk about LeBron's greatness. Even and, more. And maybe, you know, Just the only how, how he compares greatness. to Michael Jordan mm -hmm. and his greatness. But I totally agree with you. LeBron, in how he's been dealing with this media in this age, in this millennial era, like you said, he's never gotten in trouble. How he's managing his career and the impact he's having, not in basketball, but in other areas, whether it's the LeBron James Foundation when he's sending, you know, Ohio kids to school, or like you said, speaking out on those social situations, being on social media, being an influence for the kids. So it's unfortunate that this is still something we have to deal with. Yeah, kind of a dark tone to end it on, but hey, we, we play what they <laughs> we, we just gotta go out with that sound. Rihanna, 
hopefully she'll be back for game two. Of course. We apologize for, for the downturn, but Ennis Cantor and LeBron James doing their thing to, you know, spread their message. I felt like it was very important that we talk about it. We encourage everyone to be like LeBron, to be like an Ennis Cantor. You don't need to be LeBron. You don't need to be Ennis Cantor to say something about racism, to, to make a difference in the world, right? I'm with you, man. Okay. That about does it, right? Uh, we'll be coming back at you guys next week after the result of Game 2. Yep. So until then, enjoy Game 2. Don't be racist. We out. Peace. Well, I'm out, man. <laughs> <laughs>